again, this is what week number two, and it's still, it feels still odd. I almost said, okay, now you can take your seats. <laughs> but uh, I am so blessed um, to be able to, to do this, to teach the word. Um, and uh, again, just talking to Jerry before I came up here, you know, we're viewing how many people are logged in and there's quite a few of you. And uh, we're going to continue to keep things as normal as we can. Uh, we're going to continue to teach the Bible as we always do. And uh, again, Sunday mornings, we're doing the life and the ministry of Jesus. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew's gospel, Matthew 26, Matthew 26. And we ended uh, on verse 30 there, <clears throat> and that's where we will pick up our, our reading for this morning. Starting with verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives then saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, Yet will I never be offended. And Jesus said unto him. Verily I say unto thee. That this night before the cock crow. Thou shalt deny me thrice three times. Peter said unto him. Though I should die with thee. Yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also all the other disciples. Then cometh Jesus with them to a place called Gethsemane and said unto his disciples, sit here while I go and pray yonder. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy, downhearted. Then saith he unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful. Even unto death, tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. He cometh to his disciples <clears throat> and he finds them asleep. And he says unto Peter, what? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch, pray, that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again and second time and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. He came and he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. He left them and he went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand 
and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Arise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. If you would, please, again, would you just uh, grab your Bibles and stand uh, wherever you're watching and let's pray over this text together. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. And Lord, uh, studying the life and the ministry of Jesus and coming into this season of Easter, or we would rather call it Resurrection Day. What a miracle it is for us to be here. And right here in Matthew, looking at the Garden of Gethsemane and all that you went through um, personally and with your disciples. So, Father, nothing is coincidence. You have divinely designed this whole day, this time for us to be here. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate the word to our minds and to our hearts. And not only learning what happened historically, but even what could happen presently in our own hearts going through this season. And that, Lord, I do. I, I, I depend and I lean upon your Holy Spirit for help. I pray your word goes forth with clarity and with personal application. So again, Lord, the reason we stand is we hold your word in high regard. We love you, Father, for it. Please bless it. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said amen and amen. Thank you. And wherever you're at, you can be seated. <clears throat> Pardon me while I get a water here. Following the, the Last Supper, what we studied last week, Jesus entered the Garden of Gethsemane um, willing, willingly to offer himself uh, to the will of the Father. Jesus was crushed for our sin, uh, abandoned to the cross, and all so that we could have fellowship with him. Now, as we study Matthew 26, we're going to consider the spiritual battle that's before us presently. Choices that we will have to make. And ultimately, though, because we know the whole story, victory is through Jesus Christ. You know, there's always been great battles. You think of the Battle of Karshemesh back in 605 B.C. and battles between the Egyptians and the Assyrians and the Babylonians and you think of those battles and how they changed history and changed uh, the course of, of humanity. The Mil Mil Milvian Bridge, that's where Constantine apparently had that vision of a cross and was able to encourage and defeat the Maximatists. And, you know, Waterloo with Napoleon and the First World War, the Second World, World War, and in fact, fast forwarding all, all the way to the mother of all wars, Armageddon. You know, these battles all through the history of, of mankind. But every battle includes a choice, and it is a choice that will impact an outcome. And what we see in our text this morning is a battle. There's, there's a battle going on here in this garden called the Garden of Gethsemane. 
First battle, however, took place in another garden. It was called the Garden of the Garden of Eden. And this is where Adam made a choice. And that choice, again, the outcome was he lost the battle. There is this battle here in the battle of Gethsemane. And yet we see Jesus making a choice to, to surrender his will to the father. And as a result of that, there was victory. He won the battle. Now, we left off last week, last week with the scene there where in verse 30, they had sung a hymn and they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, we know Judas Iscariot had already dipped his his hand in the same dish that Jesus had. And Jesus encouraged him to go and do what he was called to do. And he left them. But Jesus and his disciples, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And in order to do that, they have to leave the upper parts of the city of Jerusalem. They have to walk eastward, um, going through the Kindred Valley, and then they would make this ascent up into the Mount of Olives. Um, it is also called the, 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 uh, the uh, Gethsemane, the garden, the Olive Garden has several different names there. Now, what's ironic about this whole thing before I get in more into the study is that, you know, humanity began in a garden, the Garden of Eden. And it was there, too, that sin entered the world of in the in the future. There will be a new garden with a new uh, city and a, a new future home where sin will be eradicated. Another garden there. But here we're in this garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. The first garden, there was an Adam. The second garden, there will be a second Adam. It tells us in first Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45, the first Adam became a living being. But the second Adam or the last Adam became a life given spirit. And he was able to be, give a life given spirit because he won this battle in the battle of, of, of Gethsemane. He overcame the pressure and the sin. He, he presented himself, and this is, this is what's important, gang. He presented himself to the will of the Father. Now, I'll bring that up again as, as we go through this. But uh, the, this is a dark time. It's a dark time for the disciples. It's a dark time um, for Jesus. In fact, it tells us even in John thirteen thirty. That um, after having received the bread, he uh, he went out immediately. And it tells us there in verse 30 that it was dark. In fact, in Luke 22, verse 53, um, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, just listen to the wording there. Luke 22, 53, when I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me then. But this is your hour and the and the power of darkness now, we know the Passover is always celebrated during a full moon. But even though it was a full moon for the disciples and for Jesus and doing this battle in Gethsemane, this was a dark, dark night for them. There's this impending death that looms over the Lord. You know, um, the enemy had always been looking for the opportune time uh, to destroy Jesus, to destroy the um, um, his him going to the to the cross. Uh, in fact, when Jesus was being tempted by the devil back in Luke chapter four, 
verse 13, it says, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until the opportune time. And all through the course of Jesus's ministry, you, you just see Satan in the background looking for that opportune time to just destroy the Messiah, to destroy why he came. Uh, we see it there. We've, we see it even when they were in the area of, of Caesarea Philippi. Um, when Jesus predicted to his disciples, I am going to be killed. I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. And it was, it's that time where Peter pulls him aside privately, says, man, far be this from you. You see, again, Satan taking the opportune time. And Jesus had to say, um, you know, get behind me, Satan. You're mindful of the things of man. This is in Matthew 16, 23. You're an offense to me. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. See, behind the scenes, Satan looking for that opportune time to sway Jesus away from the reason why he was there. He, and here again, in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Satan meets, meets him there, trying to crush him, trying to sway him to abandon the reason why he was there. Now, in verse 31, it says, Jesus said to them, all of you will will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to to Galilee. He's predicting he's predicting to the disciples that they're going to scatter. That something is going to go awry. Something terrible is going to happen there in the in the garden. Now, Jesus is quoting Zacharias 13, verse 7, where it says, strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And that's exactly what was happening. But Jesus, what would happen? But Jesus is writing about his death. He's talking about being scattered, but he encourages them there in verse 32, where he says, but after I have been raised, I'll meet up with you in Galilee. He's speaking of his resurrection and what he's telling them, I think, gang, and here's the application. He's saying, you're entering into some dark times in this garden with me. They hear him wailing. They hear him praying with extreme anxiety. He keeps going back to them. He's finding them asleep. He's saying, please stay awake. Look, you're going to scatter. Not me. They might scatter. No, you're going to do the same thing. He's almost saying to them, watch out for each other. Because they had all agreed. We're, we're all going to do. We'll never leave you, Lord. And yet he's predicting about his death. And he's saying I, afterwards, just watch out uh, in this hour of darkness. Now, Gang, I know we're going through a lot today. <clears throat> and I know there's a lot of people that right now are, they might even view this time period, what we're going through with the coronavirus and all, a dark hour, a very dark hour. And many people are shutting themselves in, they're hiding, they're so paranoid. But this is the time for us to watch out for each other. Now, I know that there's that quarantine thing and staying at a certain distance, but there's nothing wrong with a phone call and there's nothing wrong with an email. There's nothing wrong with just a word of encouragement to one another. Just put, you know, give yourself, you know, uh, a goal. Say, I'm going to call five people this week. 
just to encourage them to be strong, to be steadfast. And, 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 and tell, this too will pass. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to say. Look, the shepherd is going to get straight. You don't have to scatter. Stay close to each other. Now, Jesus understands how easily it is for people to um, uh, to, to, to get to get scared and prone to scatter, you know. But I think one of the things for me that's helpful is that verse where it says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Humble you. That's where it all starts. Instead of looking at the 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 pending problems of society and the might what might happen, humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God, then to cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. You know, uh, we don't have to run like the first Adam. And as soon as Adam blew it, he ran. He hid himself. Uh, the, the second Adam in his garden, he didn't hide himself. He took on the blunt of the pressure. And um, and I love this about Peter, you know, how he, he professed that he wouldn't stumble. He, he said in verse 33, Peter answered, he said, even if they all were made to stumble because of you, um, I, I, I'll never do it. I'll, I will never be made to stumble. And I just love this about Jesus. He knew Peter all too well. And he knew that he knew Peter probably than he knew himself. Right. And uh, he knew that when there came to the, that dark time, you know, that it was going to it was going to defeat him. But there's something that I'll say maybe even next week, but it, it, it warrants it now. Jesus knew the dark moment would soon be eclipsed by a bright coming day for Peter. There will come a day when Jesus will stand before Peter, all embarrassed that he denied him three times. But Jesus will ask him three times, but do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And restore Peter back. Verse 34, he says, Jesus answered and said, surely I say to you, Pete. Tonight, this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Notice again, Peter, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And now all the other disciples said the same thing. And, I, and with all my heart, I believe Peter meant he really meant that. I think he was very sincere. He thought within his own power, within his own might, that when they came to arrest Jesus, man, I'm ready to throw down. In fact, if we next week, we'll look at that where he literally will. He'll pull out a sword. He will cut off uh, Malchus, the servant to the high priest. He will lop his ear off. And I guarantee you, he wasn't aiming for the ear. Right. It was then when Jesus would stop him and say, no, no, put away your, your sword. You, you want to live by your sword, you'll die by it. And that is when Peter took off. But Peter, I believe with all with all my heart, he really he meant it and he was sincere. But here we go. It says in verse 36, Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go and I pray over there. Now, the historians and, and uh, you know, the, the commentary, uh, commentaries, they, they, they think that this place literally is near a, a church that exists today, actually. And it's the church is called the Church of All Nations. And some people love to go there and uh, sit there and kind of think, what was it like to be here? This is where Jesus sat. There's a couple olive trees, actually, I've seen. 
that could actually date back to that same time period. It's a little sobering thinking that you're right there where Jesus took that pressure and and um, and and just um, um, the anxiety. There's an olive press there, you know, of course, because this is an olive garden. Um, it's uh, goth shimei, it's the Greek word. Goth is the word uh, uh, press and shimei is the word uh, oil. And the way they would extract the oil, uh, there was two different ways. One was by a mill. There would be a flat stone with a, a, a rounder stone on top of it and olives would be thrown on top and everything would be pulverized. Everything. You're talking about the seed, the skin, uh, the fruit inside of it. And then whatever came down that little channel there and captured the, that would be the olive oil. But there was another olive press back in those days. Um, it, and, and the way it looked, it was a round cylinder, roughly around two feet in diameter. And they would put their olives inside the cylinder. And then they would put a burlap bag or some type of cloth on top of the olives. And then so gently they would lay a rock on top of it. And then after that rock was placed and, the, and it, some of the olive oil, because of the weight, would drip off, they put another rock. Then they would put another one. And you could get close to 12 feet of stones just put run top on top of another, crushing just the olive oil out and not the pulp or the, the seed or the skin. That oil was specifically used for the temple, for the candles and ceremonies, or the lampstand, pardon me, and um, some of the ceremonial things they would use that olive oil for. But in both case, it was the pressing, it was the crushing. And this is what Jesus was going through. He was being crushed. He was being pressed. The other Gospels tell us that Jesus was under such extreme pressure, anxiety. There's a medical term. I'm, I always torture the word uh, hemodridrosis, it's where the sweat glands begin to rupture and hemorrhage uh, because of the anxiety Then it's mingled with sweat. And you really have the appearance that Jesus is sweating great drops of blood down his face. But it's under extreme mental distress and anxiety. This is being hit. This is his Gethsemane. This is his battle. But there's something that I want to explain to you. If you were to just come up with a bag of olives, dime a dozen, you could go down to the local market and you could you could buy a whole burlap bag full of olives and not get much. It had no value, not much value. But as soon as those olives were crushed and pressed, it was of value and it was of use. See, because Jesus was crushed, because he was pressed in the father's eyes, he is now of value and of use. See, in Isaiah, it says he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, chastisement for our peace was upon him with his stripes. We are healed. 
See, that crushing, that bruising, that everything Jesus went through was in order to give us something. We'll call it the Holy Spirit of God. See, when he was being crushed, what was being poured out was grace. To take on that punishment for us. Of course, oil is always an emblem of the Holy Spirit. And think about the one who was being crushed. It tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sinful. That we might become the righteousness of God. Because he went through Gethsemane. Because our Lord was being crushed and pressed beyond measure. He was bruised for our iniquities, crushed for us in order that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was crushed, the Holy Spirit dispatched, and people were being filled with this. You know, there's a saying, and I think it, um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said it. He called grace cheap grace. But my friends, there's nothing cheap about grace at all. Looking at this, the beginning of this battle and the battle of Gethsemane. Where Jesus will totally submit his will to the father. That was a great price he paid in order that we might be called the righteousness of God. And I know we all go through our Gethsemane's. We all have these times of pressure. We're experiencing them now. Some of the things I've been reading just breaks my heart. Literally, people are trying to hide in bedrooms and hide in their homes. And I get that. We're, we follow the protocols. We, we do what the government's asking us to do. But to be gripped with such fear where you won't even reach out to anyone else. You know, gang, God does not want us to be gripped with fear. He hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but power, love, and of sound mind. You know, and I'm not saying that we should be foolish. But we're all, we all go through these times of pressure. But listen, just as Jesus submitted his will to the Father, came out victorious, we too, in our Gethsemanes, our times of pressure and being crushed because we want to be of use and of value in his kingdom, then we have to surrender our wills to the Father. And yeah, look, we read Psalms 23, yea, that I... No, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He goes on and he says he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sakes. And then we want to stop there. That's our mountaintop. And we like to be airlift from one mountaintop to another mountaintop. But the truth of the matter is the whole psalm goes. And yea, though I walk through a valley of the shadow of death. He says, I'm not going to fear any evil. And look, we're going through our Gethsemanes. We're going through our valleys right now. And for his church, I believe the Lord is leading us and walking us through that. He's instructing us through these dark times right now. That psalmist says also, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear any evil. Why? Because his rod, his staff comforts him. 
You know, sometimes because sheep are so timid, they have the shepherd literally has to use sort of like a, a goading prod or or something to make the sheep to go down into the waddies where the waters are, even though they don't want to go down there. He makes them go down. And I think for the Christian, if you want your life to be of value, if you want your life to be of use for the kingdom, sometimes we, we go through our Gethsemanes and we go through our valleys Sometimes in their dark, I get that. But he never leaves us, he never forsakes us. You know, someone once said, you know, if you really want to be able to sing the songs of victory, well, you have to have the battles. You know, there's a lot of churches, they have all the victorious songs. Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He walks, and they sing it every Sunday. You just have to wonder, but have you have you ever been through in a battle to where you can sing that song, victory, and really mean it? Without a battle, you can't really sing a song of victory. To see Jesus winning the battle for you, or being walking alongside of you as you go through this time. We're going to come out of this, folks. And we're going to come out very victorious. And God's church is going to shine like a city on a hill. You know, also, I think unless Christians uh, go through their Gethsemanes or go through even I'll use the word suffering. How are they ever going to discover the richest times of fellowship with the Lord? See, that's where I discover the richness of God, mostly when I'm going through something or or maybe it's a, a time of pressure in my life. I start to lean not on my own understandings, but in all my ways, I'll acknowledge you. You'll direct my path. That's where I experience the richness of fellowship with, with the Savior. And another thing that I see in this text, is he's always bringing Peter, James, and John along with him. When he has something special goes on, when when he when he wants sort of like a smaller group, it's the trio there. It's always Peter, James and John. Look at verse 37. He took with him Peter and, and the two sons of Zebedee, which is James and John. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Could it be that he just wanted his closest to be with him right then as he's go as he goes through this? He says to them, Peter, James and John. My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even to death. And please look at the request. And could you just stay here? Could you watch with me? Could you pray with me? You know, a lot of folks are out there today asking the same question. You know, can you stay here with me? Can you give me a call? Can can you just may, maybe pray with me? You know... He took these three on three different occasions in the New Testament with him. The first time he took these three was to a man's house. His name was Jairus, who had a sick daughter who died. And Jesus raised her back to life. The other time these three were together was on the Mount of Transfiguration. That's where Jesus was metamorphosed into his glorious body. And there Moses and Elijah. And it tells us that they were talking about Jesus's decease, how he was going to die. The third time they're gathered together is here in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
And you know what the common denominator is with all these three? It's death. It's death. The first one, Jesus would conquer death, healing Jairus' daughter. The second would be how Jesus would be glorified through his death. The third would surround, actually him surrendering his life. John would be exiled to the island of Patmos and come back to the area of Ephesus and die, die as an old man. And Peter would be crucified upside down. But all winning because they all surrendered their wills to the father. Now it tells us that he goes a little further in verse 39. And he falls to his face. And he prays. Possible. Let this be done. Your will. He says, what is this cup? Well, in a sense, he's saying if there's any other way for mankind to be saved, if there's any other way for just think of your own name right now, if there's any other way for Harry to be saved. But if there's not, I'm willing to drink this cup. Just shows you too, being nice, a lot of theology, partly it does. But as I go through the scripture, I think it speaks more of a cup of judgment. A cup of judgment. It tells us in Revelation sixteen nineteen, the cup of the wine of his fierceness of his. I am taken out of your hand, the cup of trembling, the dregs of the cup of my fury. You shall you shall no longer drink it, but I will put it into the hands of those who afflict you. And and again, Jeremiah twenty five fifteen through seventeen. The beginning of that section says, take this wine cup of fury from my hand and cause all nations to to whom I send you to drink it. It's a cup of judgment that Jesus is alluding to. If there's any other way, Lord, let this cup of I don't want to drink your judgment. I don't want to drink your judgment. Who is he judging? Now, I know we've been studying this a long time. When Jesus hung on that cross and he said, Eli, Eli, Lama Shabachthani. Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, this is the first time in all of eternity Where the father and the son will be separated. You know, I get wigged out when I'm separated from one of my kids for a couple of weeks. Like, why haven't they called that? Or maybe I need to go check up on them. But just think of that. Throughout all of eternity, they've always had fellowship until that moment. God turned his back on his son because Jesus drank the cup of judgment. My judgment. Your judgment, the past, the present, the future, the wickedness of the world, everything that God within his righteous judge, within his righteous attributes, he has to judge sin. And Jesus became sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God. And that's what I believe he was praying about. You know, sometimes I don't think we'll ever feel that kind of abandonment, not to that extreme. But all of us, we've all felt abandoned 
one way or the other. Maybe as a kid, your dad took off on you. Maybe as a wife where your husband just said, honey, I'm done and leaves. Maybe you feel like your company abandoned you and just left you go. We'll never, never experience the kind of abandonment that our Lord had to drink. But nonetheless, it's still a time of pressure. Some people today feel abandoned. They're stuck in their homes or they're stuck in this mentality where it's just fear. You know, Jesus promised us because he drank that cup. He promised us that he would never leave us. You know that he tells us he tells us in Hebrews chapter 13, five in, at the latter part, he says, for he said. For he himself has said, I will never leave you, nor would I ever forsake you. But in verse six, he says, so that we might boldly say the Lord is my helper and I will not be afraid what man shall be, well, shall do unto me. I will not be afraid. And I'm telling you guys, you don't have to be afraid today. You don't have to allow the enemy to pour on this guilt and this dread. He will never abandon you. The Apostle Paul said in another epistle where he says he will never leave nor forsake. He would be with us to the very end of the age. See, here, here's what I think. You have to know that to be true or it will be just a scripture verse. The next time you start to experience maybe fear or maybe dread abandonment, maybe just getting alone with the Lord and start to speak with him and start to pray. Remember, Jesus said, couldn't you just pray one hour with me? Couldn't you just stay awake one hour with me? See, I believe with all my heart, especially as we go through this time, this season, prayer is so important to the believer. You should be praying more now than you have ever prayed as a Christian. You should be praying two, two, three times, four times a day. Praying and praying. Staying in touch with your father. Hearing him speak the word. Don't be like a Daniel, pardon me, like a Peter, who was overconfident, who was found sleeping while he should be praying. Again, uh, as as we kind of try to wrap this up a little bit, 42, he says again, he goes this way, he prays, and he says, if this cup won't pass from me unless I drink it, but let your will be done. He comes back again. He sees them sleeping again because their eyes were heavy. Verse 44, he leaves them again. He prayed the third time the same words. Now, I get it. I read one commentary that said probably the reason why the disciples couldn't stay awake was because they were just so emotionally drained. I mean, they just had a glorious meal with the Lord. Judas leaves them. He's telling them that he's ready to be portrayed and handed over. They're emotionally drained, just like a lot of folks are today. See, the enemy knows that there is power in prayer and there's profit in study. 
I want to encourage you guys more than ever as we as we we start to see this thing. It'll go away, gang. Eventually, this time, this fear of this virus, it's going to go away. But until then, just remember, there's such power in prayer and there's profit in study. Keep your Bible before you keep stay on your hands and knees tonight. I'm really asking you to tune in right live stream. You know, tune into live stream, because if you tune into live stream at our prayer meeting tonight, you're able to type in a request and we'll be able. There'll be four of us sitting up here. We're going to have some worship going on behind us. But this is what God has called us to do in our Gethsemane is to pray and to keep our Bibles before us and to stay strong in the power of his might. Listen, the enemy knows when when we begin when we begin to become emotionally drained, he knows when to pour it on. He studies that. He has a schematic of the the blueprint of a believer where he's weak and vulnerable. Lucid it tells us in Ephesians chapter six, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and ru- against rulers of the dark, a- darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Man, listen, the place where we need to be more now than ever, gang, is on our knees. And if you can't physically stay on your knees, then start to walk, walk around with your hands up. And start a prayer life like you've never had one. And we can start that this evening. Just tune in. Six o'clock. Six o'clock tonight. I'm just making sure the time was right. And we'll pray together. Pray hard. Pray for me. I'm going through a lot of anxieties. I've been fighting. I've been praying. Well, let us pray for you. Because if we're praying for you and there's a couple hundred people watching the prayer meeting, then you've got 200 people praying behind the scenes for you. I'm urging you, I'm asking you, make sure you're here tonight via through a live stream. Amen, guys. Listen, the victory is ours. Ultimately, they're going to come next week when we study. They're going to come. Judas is going to go over, betray the Lord with a kiss. But you know what? This this battle that Jesus is in right now didn't be didn't end in Gethsemane. He started this pressing, this Gethsemane fight, his surrendering his will to the Father there in that garden. But then next week we'll see him go through six trials, three trials from the Jews, three trials from the Romans. And then that's not the end of his battle. After that, he then will take a hike up to the hill of Golgotha and die on the cross for the sins of humanity. And as soon as he says it is finished, that is when he won his greatest battle ever. So make sure, Rich, would you make your way up? Make sure you, tomorrow, next weekend you're here, same time. Have your Bibles ready. Call ahead. I mean, call some friends. Tell them, hey, they're getting ready to start this service. Hey, remember, too, uh, on the 5th, we're going to have communion together. You know, and I'll, I'll tell you later how that's all going to work out. But we're going to break bread together, you know, and then uh, I'm, I'm toying around, maybe just doing a one on one Bible study a Friday evening. Probably just me and that camera that's in front of me just reading through the night where our Lord died on the cross for us. 
Um, But guys, listen, we are victorious because Jesus submitted himself to the will of the Father in Gethsemane. You and I will remain victorious as long as we submit our wills to him in our Gethsemanes. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. And we thank you for technology, Lord. We thank you for your word. And Lord, you even said that, especially in the latter days, that there will be times of trials and and temptations. You have even asked us to not let our hearts be overwhelmed. That we should know these times are coming. Lord, I know that this virus and and some of the things we see, Lord, going on, the precursors of things that can even happen in a later, later day. But, but for right now, Lord, we want to walk in the light as you are in the light. Lord, we want to have fellowship one with another, even if it's through technology, knowing that it's the blood of Christ that's given us that victory over those battles. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for the truth of your word. And I know, Lord, we'll be praying tonight. But right now, I just want to extend a word of prayer to anyone that's out there right now. That maybe they're they're listening and they're not sure. They're not even sure if they're saved. Maybe they're afraid of even hell. And they don't want to go there. You gave us the assurance, Lord, through your word. You don't need to go there. That if just one person would confess with his mouth that Jesus is the Lord. If he would just believe in his heart that God raised him from the dead. That he's alive, that he sits on the throne of God. Your word tells us they shall be saved. So if that's you this morning, if that's you, I want you to pray Just say, Lord Jesus Christ, forgive me of my sin. I believe you died for my sin. And I believe you were victorious over death. And you now live on the right hand side of the Father. I make you my Lord. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.